Amen. Thank you so much, choir. We really appreciate this, that this morning. I just want to say a special word of, of thanks and appreciation to uh, a lady that I've really come to admire. Her passion and her uh, commitment to reaching the lost, period. And then those who are internationals as well. But she does a tremendous job as our international director and, and uh and that's Cheryl Bennett. And so let's just thank the Lord for Cheryl Bennett this morning. If any of you have been on her team, you know she's a great leader. And she gets her team together. And they do a tremendous job facilitating our international ministry. And we, that just thrills my heart uh, to see folks uh, from different languages and different tribes and different tongues who God's bringing them to our doorstep. And, and sometimes you may hear me uh, talk about the peoples of the world. I'm not making a grammatical error when I say peoples. Uh, that is just kind of a way that we refer to the fact that there are different people groups all over the world. And uh, we know that they're divided by tribe and by language and by nation and there's borders and there are people groups all over the world that have not heard the gospel, and there are people groups even here in Gainesville. And so when you hear me use the word peoples, I want you to think people groups because it takes uh, intentionality, it takes effort, it takes planning to try to cross the barriers into those various people groups. I'm of a people group called Southern Boys, I guess, I don't know, but Americans, but uh, we've all got sort of our people group that we're in. Well, I want to continue to our uh, subject that's going to lead up to the Lord's Supper, and, and you're going to see how all this ties together. But I've been talking about family values, and it's really a play on that because we think of family values a lot of times just in terms of uh, honesty and, and different things like that. And, and those are truly family values. But what I've been putting before you is that there are foundational values that if they are not there, building those others just make good people but good lost people. And we don't want good lost people. We want good saved people, right? And so we've been talking about some of the foundational things that you and I as a church family and you and I as individuals or married couples or married with children, that what we as families truly value most. And what we've discovered is that we ought to value what Jesus values. And Jesus valued his relationship with the Father first and foremost. He said, may your name be glorified. I'm here to glorify you, Father. May you be glorified in my life and in my death and my resurrection. It's all to the glory of God. And then he said, because of that is my ultimate treasure. I treasure what he treasures, and God so loved the world that he sent me to die for this world. And so he loves us, and, and, and so we value what Christ values, and he wanted to see the kingdom of God occur on planet earth. He wanted it so bad that he was willing to march to the cross and suffer the penalty for your sin and for my sin. And so he had this great vision, and for that joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. So you've got the glory of God, you've got the kingdom of God, and uh, I don't want to fall in this pit. I just noticed there's a pit right here. But uh, 
we, we want to we treasure his kingdom. And what you're seeing this morning is a beautiful picture of the kingdom. It is the rule of Christ in the hearts of people. And he came to redeem peoples from every tribe and tongue and language. And so we want to be a church. You want to be a part of a church that is reaching the people groups of the world, that is, that is taking the gospel to, to see the kingdom of God penetrate the, uh, the community of Gainesville and the communities extended out throughout the rest of the world. Now, there's a third value that I want us to look at. Or we saw a third value last week, which was truth and wisdom and, and how we can't walk any further than what we have the revelation of God before us and the truth of God. Well, I want to give you another value this morning, and you're going to see how it ties in. Let me just ask you this question. If, we're not going to, if I were going to ask the, the average parents this question, I want to teach my children the value of, what would you say? I want to teach my children the value of, what do you think would be some common responses? Money? Life? Work, hard work, right. I, and we, we will all come out with these very similar things. I want to teach my children the value of work. Well, I want to do that. I want to teach my children the value of money. Well, I want to do that. Well, in a sense, that's what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to, I want you to uh, think about with me how Christ wants us to value our money. And it may strike you a little strange how he wants us to value it. If we value the glory of God and the kingdom of God and the wisdom and truth of God, then the way we value money will be the way Christ valued it. So let's talk about that just a little bit. But I saw a couple of years ago, it was down here in Florida. I just happened to see it in the paper on the news, the the Schmidt family. And they found some uh, gold. In fact, they're treasure seekers. They do that for a living. They go out and they search for treasure off the coast of Florida, unsunken ships. And, and I was reading this, and what struck me as I was reading this, this article was not that they found 300 and something thousand dollars worth of gold. I was real happy for them and all that. But what struck me was what they said about it. Listen to some of the verbiage that came out of these treasure seekers. I cried like a baby, describes Hillary Schmidt after her brother Eric showed her and the rest of the family a handful of gold on the boat. His pocket was hanging with gold about down to the ground. It was an intense moment. We were all just screaming and crying. Then she goes on to talk about it Uh, later on. It says, it's a feeling of excitement, joy, feeling blessed, shocked. I just kept saying, there's gold everywhere. Are these excited folks? Wouldn't you be excited if you found $300,000 worth of gold chains laying on the beach? I hope you'll tithe on it. But anyway, we'll go. It's from the Lord. But anyway, uh, listen to what she says. She says, uh, the Schmidt's loot will be split between their company and up. But they go on to say this. It was a hobby, but now it seems like a lifestyle. It was a hobby, but now it seems like a lifestyle. We are pirates. It's what we do. We are pirates. It's what we do. Now, when I first read this and I first talked about this a little bit, I, I kind of went on a negative. I, I kind of took it as a negative. I said, look at those folks. They're just all after gold. They're just all after earthly treasure. And that is absolutely true. And I could use that as a negative example. Of, you know, if you just find all the gold in the world and you don't find Jesus 
you don't have anything, right? And we know that's true. But I think Jesus would spin this illustration, would spin this in a different way. I really believe this. I think he would say this. He wouldn't say, avoid seeking treasure. He would say, I want my children to be treasure seekers. I want all of my children, my family, to seek treasure. I want them to make it a lifestyle, not just a hobby. But I think you probably know that he's talking about a little different treasure, don't you? He does not want us to not be treasure seekers. He wants us to treat, he wants us to seek the right treasure. And it's interesting how he says to do this. Look at Matthew chapter 6. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust and destroy, uh, rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but avoid all treasure. Is that what he says? No, he says, I want you to lay it up for yourselves. Lay up for yourselves treasures. Be treasure seekers. Find treasure and lay it up for yourselves in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So I just kind of pictured this way. All right, here is, here is the, the Schmidt family. Well, here's the ocean, right? And we kind of have the atmosphere we have up and we have down. And so the Schmidt family is down here and they're finding treasure. They're looking for treasure. And they're going to convert that into money and, and, or, or however they might do it. And, and, we're, and they're down here. They're looking for treasure. And this really represents the, the world in which we live. We're kind of like SpongeBob. We live underwater, right? Y'all never heard of SpongeBob. But anyway, <laughs> don't recommend it. But you li- we live underwater. We kind of live in this world. And Jesus is saying, listen. You can look for treasure down here, and you can just have this treasure down here if you want. But I want you to, to, to look for treasure and find ways to lay it. What direction? I want you to put that treasure, that treasure up. You have the capacity, Jesus says. You have the capacity to turn low treasure into high treasure. You have the capacity and the ability and the responsibility of taking the treasures of this world and laying them up as heavenly, as heavenly treasure. Now, watch how you do this. He gives a very similar story in Luke chapter 12, and I'm getting to my main text here in just a minute. But I'm setting the stage. He says, fear in Luke chapter 12, verse 32, this is your king talking. This is your king. And he's talking to his kingdom citizens. How many of you here would say, Jesus is my king? Raise your hand. How many of you would say, President Obama's my king? <laughs> how many would you say, David Chauncey's? How many of you say, I'm your king? You're, you're your own king. You're here, and most of you, and you're not going to raise your hand if you don't agree, but most of you here are going to say, Jesus is my king. And listen to what he's saying. He says, fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart 
be also. It's interesting what Colossians 3, 1 says. Colossians 3, 1 says, if then you've been raised with Christ, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are what? Above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Now, I look at this illustration and I think of it in these terms. All of us were born in sin. All of us were born as children of darkness and children of the wrath of God. We were buried at sea. We're walking around without Christ, but if you're walking around with Christ, you are in this kingdom, you're not in this kingdom. But by his grace and through the gospel, by trusting Christ, we have been given spiritual life and transferred to a different kingdom. Now, unfortunately, well, fortunately, but my body and my life is still here in this world, right? And Jesus says, you can do things in this world while you're here that you can't do once you get to heaven. What you can do here, you only have the opportunity here, you have the opportunity by giving and, and being generous and, and having kingdom generosity, you have the ability to take your money and your possessions and your life and transfer it into the kingdom that's going to last, the new kingdom that lasts forever. Now, I'm already here spiritually, but while I'm down here, Jesus makes a deal with me. He says, listen, I'm your king. And if you will take your treasure and you will give generously and you will contribute towards my kingdom and you will multiply and invest your resources, your time and your talents and your money and your treasure, if you will do that, I will exchange it for heavenly treasure. And you know what? He not only says that, he says that I'm going to exchange it at a pretty good rate. I'm going to multiply it many, many, many times over in the kingdom to come. That's a pretty good deal. I've got to set up with my older boys I wish I didn't have. But I got to set up with my older boys that I, their bank accounts are connected, that I have access to their bank accounts, and I have the ability with my iPhone to transfer money from my account to their account. How many of you got that capability? You can do that. Okay. I love that. They'll call up and say, listen, we, my money's run out. I'm working. I say, I know, same old sob story, how much you need. And I, I'd say, oh, I can't send that much. How much? Well, let's bargain. Let's negotiate. And then finally, we'll come to a figure. So I send the $10. And they go, uh, <laughs> I, I don't have much to send. I said, you guys are on your own now. But anyway, so, but here's what happens. I, Wells Fargo does a pretty good job. Wells Fargo does a pretty good job. It says, in fact, on my little cell phone, it says, it, that, little, that program is called Sure Pay. Now, here's why it's sure. When I say send 20 bucks, 20 bucks will go from my account over into their account. Now, if I send 20 and 10 shows up, we're talking, right? I got a problem with Wells Fargo. So I go back to, but they're Sure Pay. They're sure pay because there's, there's no loss from my account to this account. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying to you. 
your kingdom generosity, when you're giving towards his kingdom, when you're giving to his church, when you're giving generously to those that are in need, you are, you're not losing anything. You're gaining, aren't you? You're actually transferring by way of giving. You're transferring these underwater assets. You're making them dry and multiplied forever. Do you read your Bible the same way I do? I think that's what it says. I'm trying to live that way. Now, when I send that money from Wells Fargo, I know that money is gone, right? In fact, I don't even know where it goes. But when I give to his kingdom, I know exactly where it goes. It goes to his kingdom in this world by influencing others and encouraging others and helping others and building up the kingdom in his church. As I do that, I know what God is doing with those funds. I may not see it, and I don't have, Wells Fargo doesn't have an app that will show my heavenly account, (laughs) right? But Jesus said, trust me, trust me. Don't avoid treasure. Take your earthly treasure and lay it up forever. Give generously. I was a teller during college and seminary. I was a teller, and I got good at giving money out. That's kind of a fun job. You know what made it really fun? What made it really fun is it wasn't my money. And I never, I never, I never, I was telling somebody the other day, I was doing, I was a teller back in college before they really had ATMs. Now, that's how old I am, but I'm not very old. But anyway, so everybody had to come through the window. And man, I could just sling that money out. I could sling that money out. All I had to do is make sure it's the right person, make sure they had the money in the account, and zoom, there it went. I never stopped to think, oh man, I'm not sure they're going to use it wisely. And I never sent it out in the tube and looked for them to say, you're so generous. Thank you so much. None of them ever said that. They said, it's my money. Give it to me quick. I got to go, right? And I never expected, and, and really, you're just a teller for God's money. Did you know your money's not yours? If you're in his kingdom. Now, if you want it the other way around, if you want it to be your kingdom, it can be your money. But if you're in his kingdom, you're his teller. And, and he can write checks on your life, right? And he does that through the needs of others. He does that through his commandments in Scripture. And he says, no, 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 I'm your king. You have a kingdom forever. You're my teller. And you give as I tell you to give. And you give to those that are in need. And here's what I do. I transfer that to heavenly treasure. And we don't know, it's not going to be malls, I don't think, in heaven. That disappoints a lot of you. But anyway, I I don't know how that's going to look in heaven. All I know is Jesus said, here's a deal. Here's what you do. Be my teller. It's my money. It comes into your life through the work that I enable you to do. It comes into your life through the generosity of others. You have those resources, and now you look to me. And don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We fret and we think, uh, we, we, think, we think about it. I would not have lasted long as a teller if I just gripped tightly onto that money. I'd have been too slow. 
I just had to do the transaction. And God, God is encouraging us not to grip too tightly to our stuff. You know, Jesus said stuff like this. He said, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Y'all know that story? Than for a rich man to enter into the what? The kingdom of heaven. Why is it so hard for those of us? And by the way, if you're an American, the average, the average American makes about $52,000 a year, something like that. You're in the top 1% of the world population. We're among those. The reason it's so hard for us to make it into heaven is we're gripping tightly to what we have. We got to let go. We've got to swim loosely. I remember when I was learning to swim, and they always told you if you've, you come up on somebody who is drowning, what do you do? There's a particular way you better grip a drowning person, or what are they going to do? They're going to grip you and take you down. Money will grip you and sink you. Say, why do preachers talk about money so often? Because Jesus talked about it all the time. Paul commanded young Timothy, teach those people who are rich in this world not to put their trust in riches. I'm obeying the scripture this morning. You know, it's, and I'm tempting you with what the Bible, what Jesus says. I'm not telling you to give away your treasure and give away your money. I'm telling you what the Bible says is as you support his kingdom causes, you're not giving it away, you're laying it up. Laying it up. Let me show you something real quickly. Turn over to Exodus, and this is a great illustration. A great illustration. I was here a, a few weeks back in the book of Exodus, chapter 23, and we looked at it in the life of dads and how dads were supposed to take their children. These are the, these are the dads that were in Israel, and as Moses was going to lead them into the promised land, This was going to be the earthly kingdom of God. This was where God was going to be ruling for all the world to see. They put a temple there, tabernacle, God was there. These are God's people living in the world. So the people of Israel, before the church, the people of Israel were God's representation of the rule of God or the kingdom of God in the hearts and lives of people. And, and God put a law there among the people of Israel as a teacher. The law was there as a tutor to say, here's the kind of life and heart I want you to have. And here's what he instituted for families with regard to their stuff, their earthly treasure, their money. Listen to what he says in verse 14. Three times in the year you shall keep a feast to me. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. As I commanded you, you shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib, and in it, for in that month, you came out of where? Egypt. He's talking about people who have been saved out of Egypt in this context. Now, I'm going to bring it to the church here in a second. He's saying, you're already saved out of Egypt. You're now living under the rule of God. You're in the kingdom of God, and here's what I want you to do to teach your heart 
to value money correctly, to teach your heart how to value and take care of your possessions. He says, I'm gonna institute laws to teach your heart. God's not up there going, man, I'm broke. I wish they'd bring their tithes in. God, it's not, it's not for God, it's for us. He says, I'm gonna institute this so you can teach your family the right values. Listen to what he said. He said, none shall appear before me, what? empty-handed. And it wasn't who had the most sheep or who had the most wheat. It was proportional to what they were able to do and how much ability God had given them. But he said, all of you have been given life, treasure, money, possessions. Maybe some of you have been given a lot and from whom a, a lot has been given, from whom a lot will be required. And some of you may have very little, but he looked at that widow who gave the might, and he said, she's just, she, she's amazing. Out of her poverty she gave. None shall appear before me empty-handed. Now, they didn't give anything to get out of Egypt. But once they were out of Egypt, set free by God, under his rule, God said, I need you to make sure money doesn't become your idol. And I'm going to set up a system. And here's how the system works. Let's read this together, verse 16. You shall keep the feast of harvest of the what of your labor? First fruits of your labor, of what you sow in the field. You shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor. There were three primary things. There was the fruit uh, in, in the spring, the fruit in the fall, and then there was the, uh, the lambs and the fruit of their flocks. Here's the pattern. Here's the principle. The principle begins this way, and teach your family this, church. Teach your own heart this. Give to God first. First, not last. First. Then he says this, look at verse 19. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring, where? To the mall. To Amazon.com. To the house of the Lord your God. Give first and give what? Your best. Give your first and your best. Then we read on in Malachi, we're talking about how much the principle before Moses, back in Abraham, the principle, and Jesus ratified this in the New Testament. He never did away with the principle that we give the first tenth. You give it first, and you give your best, and you give a tithe. Now, I know some of you this morning, there's no way you could even think about giving a tenth. You have overspent, your budget's all messed up, or maybe you're jobless, or, or there's all sorts of issues. And I know all of us have issues. But the Scripture sets the bar, and you ought to begin to jump towards that, right? Not to get out of Egypt, not to be saved. God doesn't say, well, I don't say. God never said, I'm, I'm only going to save you if you tithe. He never said that. 
You're out of Egypt. If you have trusted Christ, you're under the rule of God. And he said, here's what I need to make sure with my children and in my kingdom is that money does not become an idol. And the way that I'm going to set that up, I'm going to tutor your hearts, is that if you will give first and you will give best and you will give that tenth. Now, does that mean the rest of it is just whatever you want to do? No. You're just a teller. The other 90% is his too. I would suggest you save 10%, amen? I think God would want us to save some money. I would suggest you not spend 120% of what you earn. I would suggest that you not be dragged down into this world and held stuck on the bottom by debt, by things that are rusting and depreciating and forming coral on it right? So, God has something to say about the other 92%, but uh, he, he said, teach your family the principles of kingdom giving. Give first, give best, give a tenth. Now, where did he say to bring the tithe? I believe that the storehouse, the storehouse is no longer the temple in Jerusalem. Christ has built a new temple It's made out of people, and he calls that temple what? The church. The church is the place where we we have leadership and accountability and wisdom and direction, and together we come together, and, and I bring my full tithe, I bring it here to a local church where we distribute it to international missions, national missions, Gainesville. We distribute it into ministries. I believe that the local church is God's storehouse. I believe it is the place, not Boy Scouts. I know Boy Scouts are great. But the Bible says Christ is the head of what? The church. A lot of people brought us If you were going to give my family a gift, you would include my wife, right? I put the ring on one woman. One ring, one woman. Jesus loves the church. Jesus died to redeem the church. Jesus leads and guides and does ministry and missions through his church. There's lots of great causes, and there are lots of things you ought to be given to and lots of people that you ought to be helping financially. And we should not spend ourselves to the point that we can't give generously, even above our tithes and offerings. But the church is the bride. And I believe it's the place for kingdom giving. And so I will teach you as my church family that I believe that's that's clearly what the Scripture says. I would pray that you as parents and grandparents would demonstrate that and teach it to your children as well. Why? Got an email, or I don't know how I saw it. Mike Taylor, our senior adult pastor, singles pastor, killed a coral snake in his garage or someplace the deadliest snake in Florida. Now, I'm sure he didn't go in and go, hey, kids, come here. 
Honey, look what I found. Chop the head off that thing. Right? It's deadly. You chop the head off it. Then you bring in the children and say, look what I did. <laughs> look what I did. <laughs> you bring them in and said, you know what? I see tithing. I see giving. I see being generous and just thinking, this is not mine, it's God's. I see that as weakly chopping the head off a snake that can kill my family, that can turn us into earthly treasure seekers, that all we're excited about is the gold chain hanging out of our pocket or the 401K bulging in our bank account. And the Bible says it's the root of many evils. And so I see, let's teach our family and let's be a church that is generous because our king was so generous. Coral snake's pretty bad. But I thought I would get international here for a minute. The most poisonous snake in the world is this snake. Voila. Is there not a snake picture? In my mind, there is a snake picture. <laughs> this snake picture is of the banded Chinese sea snake called the banded sea crates. Sea crates can live on land or in the ocean and carry a venom 10 times more toxic than a rattlesnake's. When it bites you, you die. There's a story in Scripture, church. Just stick with me for a second. There's a story in Scripture where all of these snakes come and they bite the people of Israel because of their disobedience, and they're all going to die. Y'all remember that story in the Old Testament? And they're all laying around, and they're dying because they've been bitten by a venomous snake. And Moses was instructed to make a bronze serpent and raise it up, up on a pole. And he said, here's what I want you to do. If you want to be saved, I you just have to look to that bronze serpent. Look to it and believe. And those who did, it chopped the head of the snake out. It sucked the venom out. It gave them life. Jesus came and he said, I have come that you may have life. We have all been bitten by, by something that we cannot escape, and that's sin. Sin has brought death into all of our lives. And Jesus said in John, isn't that a wonderful scripture? In John, he said, as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man so must Jesus be lifted up that whoever, what, believes on him may have life and life eternal. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever will look to him does not have to perish but can have everlasting life. 
we're going to take the Lord's Supper. This is a picture of Jesus cutting the head of the snake off, giving us eternal life. It's a picture of when he was lifted up on the cross and his body was broken and his blood was shed for you. This is something we do often to remind us of where we were dead and how he brought us life. Let's celebrate this together. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation, let's celebrate what Jesus has done for us. Would you bow your heads? The scriptures say that when we take the Lord's Supper and we remember his death, we should do it having confessed our sins and having our hearts right with him. And some of you this morning have never looked to Jesus for salvation. You've never trusted him as your Lord and Savior. And in this time of quiet meditation, I just encourage you, you too can look to the cross. You can open up your heart and just say, forgive me, Father. Give me eternal life. If you trust God and you, you know you follow Christ, just thank him for what he's done. And confess your sins. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for coming into our sunken world with all of its sunken treasure and giving us a pearl of great price, giving us a Savior we can love and worship, giving us someone who could lift us up to newness of life. Jesus, as we take this bread and this juice, we are mindful of what it represents. Your death for us. We look to it for salvation. We look to you for salvation. And we remember what you've done for us. And it just together, it crosses every cultural and language barrier when we see our God dying for his people. We thank you. Jesus, as we pass this bread, as we take it in a moment, we give you thanks, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.